It is Sportsnet today. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf. This is the, the theme song of Sportsnet today, by the way. Josh Elliott Wolf here with Israel Fair. Hello. Co-hosting. How's it going? Good, man. Good to be here. This will be fun. Yeah, I'm like your... How many different co-hosts have you had in the past two or three weeks? Uh, so I did a week with Bick in the morning. Yep. Uh, I did a handful of shows with Randeep. All right. Now we're doing this, and next week I'm doing a show with Jamie, and I also did a show with Sat uh, before he went on his uh, much-deserved vacation. <laughs> yeah, no, he really needs it. He had two and a half weeks off and came back for two weeks. Now he's gone for two weeks. That's how it's going to go for Sat. Um, we got a lot to get into today. Uh, we're going to have Tim Leeper on next segment at 11.30. Going to talk some Blue Jays. Former Blue Jays first base coach, a part of that 2015-2016 team. We're going to talk a bit about that, how it relates to the current team. Um, we'll get into that. Also, the Mariners and Julio Rodriguez. Woo, if you're a Mariners fan, you're happy today. <laughs> yeah, signing an extension very early. I don't know, maybe too early. We'll get into that. I wonder what it means for other players, too. Um, the Jays sweeping the Red Sox. Also, I don't know if you heard, Doug McCallum has been making news. Surrey's in the headlines. <laughs> he, he, is, he, is he campaigning or something? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we'll talk a bit about that. He was on the morning show today. Things went about as you might expect for Doug McCallum being on with Halford and Bruff to talk about a 60,000-seat stadium in Surrey. Uh, if you have any thoughts on any of that, text in 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I forgot to introduce Ben. Ben's back. Basketball Ben, hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Great. You're back recently from uh, I'm back. a European trip. I am. I had some fun at the family, but got back earlier this week and... So excited to be back on Sportsnet today slash tonight, slash what a, whatever time we do. Really, just depends on the time of the day. Twenty four seven, baby. Let's Sportsnet go. Sportsnet twenty four seven. Well, I'll tell you right now, this is going to be the best afternoon show you've listened to on the station from Wednesday to Friday this week. I wonder we're, why we're crossing the bar. We beat it. Uh, but the first thing we're going to get into is. Uh, Thomas Strance and Rick Dollywall, they released an article on The Athletic this morning uh, about JT Miller, surprisingly about JT Miller, also a bit about training camp and a few other things. Uh, the main takeaway, as, as it relates to Miller, is that there's no takeaways. There's not a lot of news. Um, pretty much everything we knew, including the regular season still being a deadline for mm -hmm. JT Miller and those contract talks and if they should get done by then. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, the way that these deals tend to come together. The hockey world, and this is the first kind of regular offseason we've had in a while. 2020, we were playing playoff games in the bubble at this time. Last year, free agency was July 28th, so most of the activity at the end of July, and then a little bit slow, like the Kokaniemi offer sheet was in mid-August, so... Everything was a little bit delayed. I think this. I think the the general managers and the front offices and the agents are looking at this time of year to 
to take the, the real break that they haven't had for a while, which means that, and look, we know these deals can come together pretty fast. Remember the conversations about, and it was different, it was RFA, but Pedersen and Hughes heading into training camp last year. Are they going to get these deals done? What 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 are these deals going to look like? Ultimately, they ended up being pretty close to what we imagined. Hughes might sign a little bit longer. Patterson might sign a little bit shorter. Now, this is a situation where the contract itself, if JT Miller is going to commit here, it's going to be a long-term deal. So we, we, we're not discussing bridge contracts. Is a guy going to sign for three? You're walking him to free agency years. This is pretty straightforward. It is... Uh, it is about the value of that contract. Yeah. If it's if it's eight years because he's going to sign here and he can sign for that extra year, what's that money going to be? Is he going to be a fifty million plus player? I'm sure that's the case that's being made from his side. But if they're not even close right now, it doesn't matter that they're not discussing. They can get that done over training camp because they at least are not having to like with the RFA situations consider other things. It's it's pretty straight up. Do we want to commit to this guy? What do we want to give him? And we know that these deals can be made in in training camps. In fact, whether it's RFA or guys that are going to be UFA, it's become pretty commonplace. That's a big part of what training camp's about. Yeah, you get to training camp and you have it face-to-face for the first time, usually in three or four months. And you've kind of been talking over the summer and then things kind of get ironed out once you're able to actually have a full-on conversation about it but yeah you're right it comes down to the value and probably over six seven eight years yeah i'm sure the canucks will be more comfortable with six right he's i would assume is pushing for eight yep um but yeah the only things the canucks really have to worry about going into training camp as far as off ice situations go are miller and to an extent horvat but as mentioned in the article as well it seems that it's pretty Things seem a lot more clear on that front. And I think yeah. that's kind of the the thing we've been hearing, not only from insiders, but also from Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine. They've essentially not made it much of a concern, though obviously they do have to extend Bo Horvat as well. I do wonder, so we're assuming that the deadline for signing a contract is the regular season. And obviously things can change if they think they're pretty close. It might stretch a little bit into the season or at least get discussed between the agent and the team into the season. But do you think that also puts a deadline on trades to happen? If they were going to trade Miller, do you think they would like to get it done by the start of training camp so that if he gets traded somewhere, they can discuss contract before the regular season starts? Or do you think that could stretch all the way to the trade deadline if nothing happens? Yeah, I mean, they've been pretty consistent with the deadline as something that they're comfortable with. And I thought Randeep Janda uh, on some shows we did earlier this week made a, a good point that he's skeptical of that. Like that it sounds great on paper that we're going to have that flexibility and we're going to go, we're going to take this all the way to the end. We're going to take this player that we like and we'll see where we're at. And if the right move for the future of the Canucks is to trade him at the deadline, then we'll do so and we'll recoup assets and go from there. It It, it is so much easier in practice than or in, in philosophy than in practice. Like it, it just doesn't tend to happen. So I do think that if there are going to be renewed trade discussions and it's been quiet on that front too, that would probably be something preseason. And what I find interesting there, and JT Miller's a different player than this player that I'm about to bring up, but 
I imagine that the deadline is also the same for Patrick Kane as the Blackhawks will hold on to him and see if the market grows. But that if there is a team in the rumors out of Edmonton that the Oilers are really interested in, in getting Patrick Kane and they'll have to make some things work from a cap perspective to get it done. But that like, like that's a that's a pretty impact player who makes more than JT Miller. So it's tougher from a cap perspective. He's making over 10 million. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Blackhawks, if they're going to get assets back, would be happy to retain and make that work. But it's also it's a different situation in the sense that for as good as JT Miller's been here, he's not won the Stanley Cup three times and franchise legend kind of thing. Yeah. But I imagine that the market is probably, even if it's more difficult to pull off a Kane trade, the teams would prioritize that. And if it makes sense to do that before the season, maybe that mucks up a bit what the Canucks are looking for. But Miller's a different player because he can play center. He can play wing. A team like the Avalanche might think. And there's still a bunch. Of, I, was, I heard Halford and Bruff uh, on the other day talking about all the veteran free agents that are still out there. Like we just saw Paul Stastny yes. sign. Who's like that's a guy who's been in the league forever. Mm-hmm. He was actually played at a high level last year. The Jets were a bit of a mess, but he played at a high level last year and he's signing one year deal. Team teams are still trying to fill out those spots. And it, it is probably that pressure point of training camp through preseason before the regular season starts, of teams deciding whether or not they're comfortable with the group that they have in place or if they need to make that move. And I feel much more comfortable saying that that's a a possibility in the way that the NHL business has done today than it was 10 years ago, because we're so used to these high-end RFAs not signing before the season and these contracts getting dragged out and players being one year before UFA and that being a huge conversation. And it's, it's interesting, Josh, you bring up like the Horvat one where, okay, people thought that was going to get done quickly. And even though it hasn't, the sense is still that one's going to be figured out. And the Canucks know that they have other things to do before then, but that, even if Horvat's camp is pushing for more than whatever the Canucks have out there on the table, the gap is not as wide, and they'll be able to figure that out once the Miller situation is rectified. Maybe they make another move to free up some cap space. Whereas the Miller situation, from the way that it's being reported, is, yes, may, there's maybe a little bit of disagreement on the years, six, seven, eight, and the money, is that going to be you know, seven and a half, eight and a half? Miller, based on what he's done, Look at the contract Tomas Hurdle signed in San Jose. Uh, he's never had a 99-point season, and he signed a, a contract that's 825, um, mm-hmm. or just under, or just more than that, I think, 8.1 something. Yeah. Uh, eight plus. Let's call it eight Over plus. Over eight, yes. For a guy who's not produced anything near what JT Miller did last year, and is, uh, I think, the same age. He's same six age. months younger. Mm-hmm. So it's, that, that you know, he's got that to stand on uh, in Miller's going to push for that, and I, I don't blame him. Yeah, and, and the thing uh, Satyar Shah has always said is it comes back to total money. And I know a lot of people here look at the AAV and they're trying to fit in, see how that fits in, because from a fan's point of view, that's kind of the main concern is year to year, how much can you add to the team? And that's why the AAV matters a little bit more. But if you're a player and like this makes a lot of sense, you don't care how much you're getting paid per year. You care how much you're getting paid in the end. And it does seem like there's still a big gap there. You brought up... So the other thing that's adding a sort of wrinkle to it is you brought up Patrick Kane and how teams might be going after him and also JT Miller as maybe a backup option or at least like those are the two big options out there. The difference between the Blackhawks and the Canucks is Chicago has made it very clear (laughs) they want to suck this year. 
and like they watched they watched Connor Bedard at the World Juniors. <laughs> they were like, "Hey, he he might be good." Um, so he might be the next Patrick Kane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they might be in a slight. Like, I don't think like, Patrick Kane's a really good player. I don't know how much he can really bring up that roster, but trading him away is going to help them lose more games. Yes, and so the sooner they can do that, the better. The difference is with Miller. The Canucks want to make the playoffs. They might not expect to go far in the playoffs, but they might, like, they definitely are at least pushing for a playoff spot. So my concern, and I think a lot of fans' concerns, is that if this does stretch to the deadline, what if they're in a playoff spot? Yep. And then what if, whether it's Aquilini, whether it's Rutherford, whether it's Alvin says, you know what, we could trade him. We're not really getting what we want. We also don't think we're going to sign him. But... We can look at him as a sort of rental without yeah, having to pay the, the rental self price. Rental. The self-rental. And you keep him. But again, that's such a it's such a risky proposition. But it seems like if the season starts and nothing has happened, that becomes more and more likely if the Canucks do end up in a playoff spot. It does. And I, last year heading into the season, was not optimistic about the Canucks. And I didn't think that they were going to be a playoff team. And that was probably more 50-50 in the market within the media and the fans that they were going to make a push. I was I was definitely pessimistic. This year, I'd put myself closer to optimistic. I think that they, they're they in a better position to challenge for the playoffs. And JT Miller is going to be a big part of that. And I'm fascinated to see what the lineup looks like. Uh, you mentioned that in this article on The Athletic by, by Drance and Dollywall, there, there are some notes about training camp mm-hmm. and what training camp training camp might look like under Bruce Boudreaux and talk about, you know, it's going to be heavily systems oriented and that is going to decide or probably have a huge impact on what the lines look like. Is Miller going to start the season at center? All of those conversations, which will then in turn have an impact on what the contract negotiations are. It's going to be different than Travis Green, which we Got to know we're heavy on conditioning, the the famous bag skates. Fitness don't, focus. Don't ask Ole Levy about <laughs> Ole <it>. Levy. <laughs> yeah. Love them. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the, the other thing from that article is the training camp stuff. I do wonder. So over the off season, it seemed like a priority for Alvin to give to Bruce Boudreaux, and especially when they said, "Hey, we're bringing you back," is they want him to be more systems focused, as opposed to kind of what happened at the end of the season where. I, I wouldn't say they weren't systems-focused, but it definitely wasn't a priority. Like, Brudreau, I believe, has said, hey, we were just doing anything we could to win games and yep. try to get into a playoff spot. Yep. Um, obviously, that didn't happen, but now he has a full offseason to kind of try to develop those systems, especially because it seems like a priority from management. I am interested in seeing kind of how that unfolds throughout training camp and if we see some new wrinkles, um, especially on special teams. Because now Brad Shaw is gone. You kind of wonder how the penalty kill is going to look. Yep. I was a big fan of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes being on the PK. But they did bring in, at least on forward, Curtis Lazar and Ilya Mikheyev, right. who should both kind of factor in. I wonder if Pettersson and Hughes are going to stay there or how special teams in general is just going to look. Yeah, fascinating question. I think, I think Hughes in particular really stepped up in that role. And we, we saw flashes from Pettersson on the PK that I think you feel decent about and there is that that's probably going to be a difference uh from the coaching staff we know travis green was very much i want penalty killers throw the fourth line out there yeah you look at toronto mitch marner kills penalties and does so well 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's always the risk that a guy's going to block a shot and break a foot, and that's worst-case scenario. These guys are pretty smart. Now, yes, some of it can be fluky, but they, they, they the equipment's better, and you feel better about um, players knowing the angles and all that stuff. But, like, like yeah, Lazar and Mikheyev were brought in to be the guys on the first, the, the, the forwards on the first PK unit. And I think if Hughes is out there with a the second unit, that's great value in what you're getting out of him. And he, he handled the role well. He said all the right things. It's it's a it's a good option to have, which is why the end of last season, while they weren't playing for much, I know there was kind of a fake playoff chase for a little <laughs> yeah. bit. They were able to try different things, you know, and, and, and try to win. They were trying to win. So it wasn't talk about Chicago. They're gonna be putting a bunch of players and giving them experience as they get accustomed to the NHL and see what they have in them. The Canucks know what they have in all of these players, but they were able to put them in different roles. Um and we saw it with Vasily Putkolzin playing with a bunch of different players in an environment where they were legitimately still trying to win. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, really valuable for this group. And the the moves that they made in free agency, Lazar, Mikheyev, not necessarily the sexiest moves, but with what they can bring at 5-on-5, Mikheyev in particular, and uh, the penalty kill. And uh, this, is, this is noted in the article that uh, Mike Yo, who's brought in after Brad Shaw left, uh, Mike Yo uh, spent last season... As an assistant under Alain Vigneault in Philadelphia, and then the interim head coach with the Flyers uh, will be the one running the PK. He's the, he's the, if you're upset at the PK next season, that's who <laughs> you're going to you play. Target Mike Yo, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then Trent Call, who's made the move from Abbotsford to uh, Vancouver, will be assisting um, that instead of being the PK guy, which had I think been initially set up before Mike Yo was made available brought and brought yeah. in. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I you also mentioned Pod Colson. I'd like to see him a bit more on the penalty kill. But I'd love it. Yeah, I, especially like my ideal second unit. I would say would be Patterson, Pod Colson, Hughes. That'd and, be a lot of fun. Yeah, and someone else. Yeah, but, whoever. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. Tucker Pullman. <laughs> <laughs> Throw him out there. Um, it is Sportsnet today. This is Sportsnet 650. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf with Israel Fair producer Basketball Ben, aka Benji, aka Ben Turn. Uh, is along with us as well. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but a lot of news going on in the past 48 hours or so coming out of my residence. Yeah. Surrey, get pumped. <laughs> 60,000 seat stadium, according to Doug McCallum. He was on the morning show this morning, and I was listening to it on my way in. And the main takeaway was that there doesn't really seem to be a plan. <laughs> I heard Jim Benning might be a consultant on, <laughs> yeah. uh, on the Surrey Stadium. It's the no plan plan. Uh, text in 650-650, by the way. Any thoughts you have on whether it's a stadium, whether it's the Canucks, whatever you have on your mind. It's also Friday. Uh, so usually we have Mailbag Friday on Canucks Central, and we did it quite a bit on the People Show. We also usually have Confession Friday on the People Show. Shouts to Randeep Jan. Shouts to Randeep. Um, so if you have any questions or any confessions, you can text them in 650-650. We will get to them at some point during the show. Won't be a dedicated segment, but we will try to answer or read your confessions if you send them in. Just text it in with CF for Confession Friday or MF for Mailbag Friday. Not the other MF. Not the other (laughs) MF. (laughs) Um, but I did want to get to this Doug McCallum thing. So yesterday... I tweeted something out that I thought was kind of a joke, but people kind of went after me for it. 
I told you I was getting DMs for it. It was it was wild. You but, need more experience as a sports analyst yes, in Vancouver before you can make those claims. That's my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have 20 years experience. I barely have 20 years Earth experience. Life experience, yeah. Um, but I tweeted out. I said, hey, in an ideal world, ignoring money, what I would like to see is you put a twenty to 30,000 seat stadium in Surrey. Not 60,000 because that's crazy. But twenty to 30,000. Maybe you have the BC Lions, you have the Whitecaps play there Mm -hmm. because it's more geared towards families, it's a lot easier for them, and you can have a dedicated outdoor stadium. Yes. Then, I would say, again, ignore money because this is way too expensive and would actually (laughs) never happen. I don't know. Don't give Doug McCallum any ideas. (laughs) Are you listening, Doug? (laughs) I have your plan. He's going to want to combine Surrey and and Vancouver (laughs) and then do the second part of your plan here. (laughs) Uh, renovate BC Place, make it MLB friendly, try to bring a baseball team in. And then I said bring the Grizzlies back, because why not? Um, May as well. Yeah, if you're, if you're getting everything you want, do that. And as far-fetched as that seems, it's almost realistic compared to having a $60,000 or 60,000 seat stadium in Surrey. And, and I don't know. As far as that plan goes, so let's say ignoring all the cost, what do you think about that? I think that the market would be served by having a smaller stadium for Lions and Whitecaps, Lions or Whitecaps, because if you're relying on the the size, the 60,000, that is pretty close to what BC Place will hold and what Doug McCallum is saying is, is coming to Surrey in the next four or five years. It takes a pretty special occasion, even at BC Place, for sports to get that. Um, the Lions in the playoffs in the 2000s, they would get that for, for a West Final or something like that or a Grey Cup. Mm-hmm. The problem with BC, it's, it's, the BC Place is almost too big for the conventional game. I was at a Lions game a, a couple of weeks ago. Lower Bowl was kind of full. Semi-full? Yeah. It was half full. It was, Better than it half was, empty. Yeah, I mean, it, it was the, low, the lower bowl wasn't full and there was no one on the upper deck. And I've been to Whitecaps games where obviously for a long time they haven't had anybody up top. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lions, I was a later decision for them to, to put up the tarps too. And it's fine in there and you can have a decent time. But everything really hinges on the stadium being full and people being really into it. And if you get 20, 25, 30,000... That's still a lot of for people. a Whitecaps game or a Lions game. I think the the atmosphere is going to be significantly better. And I I talk this this isn't feasible, but um, I talk to people who look back really fondly on when the Lions and the Whitecaps started their season at Empire when they had it next to the P and E, and it was outdoors, and it it was it was old school, you know, like metal benches and stuff like that. But people liked the environment, and so if you had a, a nice version of that outdoors, more intimate, I think you're going to serve the fans a lot better. And it's not like they're going to get rid of BC Place. BC Place would still be available for something like a West Final. Yeah. But for the day-to-day, the the whatever, the Lions playing nine home games or 10 home games with a preseason game, the Whitecaps playing you know, 20, 25 games between the MLS season and the Canadian Championship or whatever other cups they might be in, 
those games are all going to be much better served in a smaller place. And look, Surrey actually makes sense geographically and demographically with, as you mentioned, Josh families being probably more accessible there. I mean, that's another part of Doug's plan. No, no parking is, is another wrinkle. <laughs> well, they can here. take the bus. <laughs> they can take the, the new sky train. <laughs> um, but I, on paper, I, I, I think that sports fans in Vancouver would be served by that. I just don't know how they pull it off. Yeah. And, and the, the thing you mentioned about BC play still being available for events would be interesting. Uh, just because I think the giants, don't they do their, uh, their teddy bear toss game at Pacific Coliseum. Yes, still. They so they have been doing that. It's not out of the question to do things like that if you are hosting a Grey Cup or yeah. if the White Caps have a big playoff game, and it makes those things seem even more special to an extent yeah. because you're like, hey, this game's in BC Place. We want to sell it out, yeah. or at least open but the upper it, bowl. It doesn't have to be the one every game. I, I won't go long on this, but I didn't realize that in until the mid '90s, the Green Bay Packers used to play two or three games a year in Milwaukee. Did they? And like I, I, oh. I always assumed that the Packers played every game at Lambeau. Yeah. It sounds like it wasn't until like '95 that they did some renovations in Lambeau, and it made sense that they could play all eight games, eight eight home games and preseason games or whatever. Like so, ten games in Green Bay. They used to play in Milwaukee, and I was I was kind of stunned by that, and I was looking into it. So I was like, if the Green Bay Packers can play in two different places for a long period of time, <laughs> the Lions, the Lions and the Whitecaps can, White can absolutely try to find some happy medium there. For sure. Uh, we got a lot of text, 650-650. We'll get to them coming up, but up next, former Blue Jays' first base base coach, Tim Leeper, is going going to join us. We're going to talk about the Jays. Uh, they just finished a sweep of the Red Sox. They open a series tonight in Toronto against the Angels. We'll talk to him about that and more up next on Sportsnet, Sportsnet Today with Josh Elliott Wolf and Israel Fair on Sportsnet 650. On your ways, front way, back way. You know that I don't play. Streets not safe, but I never run away. Even when I'm away. O-P-O-P it is Sportsnet today. I'm Josh Elliott Wolf with Israel Fair today. We're here till one, and then you're gonna get a heck of a lot of baseball. It's gonna be a C's Nooner at the Nat. Then you're gonna have the Jays and Angels, and after that, Mariners and Guardians. So lots of baseball. That's I awesome. People, I love baseball on the I, radio. So do I. But as someone that's, because uh, I worked the Mariners and Jays game yesterday, mm-hmm. and it was monitoring our text line. People do not like baseball on the radio. <laughs> They're not a fan. But enough people like it that we're going to play the games. Yeah, and different. also, I was on vacation. I was on Bowen Island for a week, a couple weeks ago, and my evenings were spent watching the ocean listening to the Mariners on the radio <laughs> and having a beer. It sounds yeah. super fun. I loved it. Yeah. Honestly, whenever I'm driving around and there's a game on, I will open the sunroof, have the game playing. It feels very relaxing. Some people don't like the vibe, though, and I understand. It's fine. Uh, we're going to be joined by Tim Leeper in a couple moments here. Former Blue Jays first base coach was part of the team from 2014 to 2018, I believe, when John Gibbons uh, was the manager. We'll also ask about John Gibbons, who now has Twitter. He's he's um stirring it up. Yeah, he's a uh, he has very old man tweets though. I mean, yes, he needed three tweets to spell his own nickname correctly. <laughs> That's Gibby. It was Ginny, Ginny, and finally got there with Gibby. You know what? And then I believe 
he tweeted Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman blocked him. Oh. And then found out that it actually was John Gibbons. So unblocked him and said that he would fly him to Toronto to watch his start when he pitches there for the Cubs. What so a turnaround. It's been a, it's been a whirlwind for, for Gibby on Twitter. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, let's bring in Tim Leeper, former Blue Jays first base coach, uh, joins us now on Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet Today 650. Uh, Josh Elliott Wolf with Israel Fair. Tim, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. Appreciate you uh, taking the time today. Uh, we're just talking a bit about the Jays, and I mean, they just finished that series in Boston. What did you think about that sweep? It was, I'll tell you what, from a fan standpoint, which which I was a fan, like it was it was exciting. The last two games were, were unbelievable. You know, it's really hard, and like what they've done in the last week is really incredible. They go into Yankee Stadium and win three out of four, and then with their three-game sweep in Boston, which is really hard to do, no matter how good you are, no matter how bad they are, whatever the circumstance, like going in in your division and sweeping a series is like a really big deal. And it was, I mean, it had everything you could want. It was, it was great. It was, the games were, were tremendous. And to have them go like extra innings the last two days and, and then the way it played out last night, like I, I guess a fan. You, and then you know, on, the, on the West Coast, you're missing it. Like you're, I know you're not up at 3 o'clock <laughs> in the morning watching those things, but it was really fun to watch for sure. Um, before these games against the Yankees and the Red Sox leap, there was a little bit of consternation. I guess it was maybe overshadowed because the Yankees have been struggling so much. But in 2016, with the team that, that you were part of the coaching staff, that team had its issues down the stretch. It was a bit of a grind before getting into the playoffs. Uh, but ultimately, you, you beat the Orioles in the wild card game, you beat the Rangers in the division series, and you, you get to the ALCS and, and play against Cleveland. With the way that the baseball season is and, and how much of a grind it is, what kind of learning experiences or takeaways can a team, especially a young team like these Blue Jays, take from these stretches where, where they are struggling but then show that they can go to New York and go to Boston and, and beat these teams and play at a high level? It's such a great question. And those are, those are, it's definitely a building block. I mean, I think the one difference that we had in 16 is that we had been there before and like even though things and I, you look at the end of 16 I don't even remember it being that bad but when I go back and look at our like our win-loss record in September it was a little bit scary and, yeah. and I do remember going into the last day of the season not knowing that we could even get in and we ended up host, hosting a wild card game but like there was no sense of panic in us because we always believed that we were the best no matter what. and now rightfully or wrongfully we believed that we were good and we were going to do it no matter what where I think this team is still kind of questioning itself. And, I, you know, here we are. And it, you, know, you make the point, it's best never to get too high or too low because a couple of weeks ago I was on and we were talking about how bad it was. And now, you know, you got to kind of temper the fact like how good it is too because there's still a lot of baseball left to play and, and nothing, nothing's a given. But I think that the, the biggest difference between the two teams is like we knew going in and this team's trying to find out where they are. And I think they took a giant step forward in their mentality because I think it seems on the outside looking in, there, there were some really great comments after that Yankee series that, that kind of like, like told me that it kind of made me feel they were getting it because a lot of these times these things are said in quiet or in the, in the locker room and they're not said out in public. But when Gosman came out and said, well, like, you know, we weren't the team, you know, we haven't done anything yet basically. And, and, you know, we, we didn't pay attention to detail and we haven't done that. And then I think Stripling kind of echoed the same statements and Teo said that we're, we're playing better as a team. I think that's a team that's maturing and kind of finding their way. And I, I think, there's one thing about setting high expectations for yourself, but there's another thing about going out and doing it. And I think there was, a, you know, they kind of just thought they were good, but they weren't playing good. And I think right now they're finding out that like, Hey, it's really hard to do this. It's really hard to win. 
and and they're finding out and they're respecting the fact that how difficult it is, how difficult a challenge it is, and they're and they're and they're they're playing and they're backing it up on the field right now. Last night's game was just incredible with all the things they did well, like moving runners, pitching out of tough situations, base running. They played a really complete baseball game yesterday, and those are the kind of things that you really love to see in a team that's going to go forward in the playoffs. And those are the things you got to do to win in the playoffs. And the Jays. Their recent stretch, so they went 6-1 and one in their last seven games. Have you seen anything different from those games compared to what they were doing before when they were kind of struggling a bit more? <laughs> yeah, and again, you know, doing, doing the, the talk circuit, like a few weeks ago when they were struggling, you know, it was an all-or-nothing approach. I remember the game they had against Cleveland when Cal Quantrill, Canadian Canada, mm-hmm. Cal, Cal Quantrill was throwing, and he got to the order the first time, and I remember Schneid. John Schneider, I made a comment like he goes, I thought we should have changed our approach in the middle innings to get to him, which and which means they were trying to chase Homer and try, trying to do damage early in the game where I think my, my thought is like your approach to the beginning should be like work the counts, get on base, hit the ball the other way, do those things. And then the Homer starts to come. And I think that's the biggest change that this team's gone. They've gone from like going up, trying to do damage from the get go to like putting hits together, like hitting the ball the other way. I mean, they had that six-run inning the other day where, like, it was a double the other way, and Springer tried to move a guy and got him over to third with, with one out. And then with two outs, they hit a double to right center. They hit a single to center. They hit another single to center. Chapman got a walk, and, and then there was two more singles and a triple to right field. Everything going to the middle the other way. So I think if you look at what this team is doing, they're, they're grinding out their bats. They're not trying just to chase homer. I think Chapman even said this the other day. They scored a bunch of runs without home runs. And it's great when you hit home runs. It's a heck of a lot easier to win games when you do it. But in the playoffs, you're not always allowed that opportunity because the other, other pitching is so good. So how are you going to how are you going to beat those pitchers that are good that locate away that throw sliders away try to get you to chase? Is you do exactly what they've done over this past week and they they hit singles they hit balls the other way and then all of a sudden you get a big hit you know somewhere in the middle of there that, that drives in two or three runs. So I think that's what they're doing, and they're playing really good defense. I mean, Chapman, Chapman oh, man. put on a clinic like the last few days on defense. And, you know, having Jackie Bradley in there to cover when Springer's not in there, like that doesn't hurt at all. And, and you know, the other thing was with Springer, like keeping him healthy and, and seeing what a catalyst he is for the offense. I mean, they're just, again, they're doing everything right right now, and, and, and that's what you want to see. And you got to continue it because – you got like it looks like a really soft spot in the schedule here with the three teams that they're playing coming up, but that's the kind of ball you want to continue to play. And they're not out of the woods yet. I mean, they got this this next nine days should be, you know, on paper looks really easy, but it's it's doing those little things that they just did over the past seven, which is going to show you whether they 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 get it or they don't get it. And I, I believe that they understand what they need to do right now. In 2016, your rotation was so solid with Sanchez, Estrada, Hap, Stroman, and when the Jays have gotten some results here, they, they've had you know, Gosman pitching well, Manoa pitching well, and a guy that's been unheralded for a lot of the year, but when he's he's been good for them, he's been really solid, is, is Ross Stripling, who's come back off of injury. His last two starts, he goes into the sixth inning. Uh, he's given up one earned run over those two starts, and he's been really good, and part of that and some of the conversation, I guess, is uh, Zach Granke was talking to Stripling, and said that uh, the Jays were, were, had figured out how to use Stripling and, and concluded that with that they don't let him face the order a third time through. Um, obviously, if the Jays are going to push, they're going to need a guy like Stripling to continue to pitch at a high level. Uh, is, is that the right sort of strategy for a guy like him, a veteran pitcher, who's, who's got ability, but is, is, he's not a prototypical ace, he's not Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer that you feel comfortable putting out there for 
as many innings as they want to pitch. Um, is that something that's going to be part of the equation for the Jays as they try to manage their rotation down the stretch? I think it is because the big question right now, like who's the number three guy? And if you you, you look at Stripling's like seven or eight starts, like it's been it's been like I mean, it's been dominating really, to be quite honest with you. And the one thing I really like about it is like the other the, the two games ago was the changeup. He kept on the changeup and he was locating it, and they were swinging over it. Well, I think this last game the team started adjusting to the changeup, and he threw a lot more fastballs than he did. So those are the kind of things that you need to show that you can get outs with different pitches and pitch to different game plans and execute pitches to get through the order the third time. So, like, it's, 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 it's like, low-hanging fruit to say, hey, a guy can't get through the order the third time because the numbers just actually back it up. But he's also figuring out ways to do it. And, and like, you, you mentioned the first two guys in, in, the, in the rotation with Manoa and, and Gosman. They, they can go three times. So you, don't, you, don't, you don't ever really doubt that, that they can do that. But I think, you know, he's showing the ability, uh, Stripling's showing the ability to be able to do that right now. So, and, you know, it's going to be a real interesting call going down, going into the playoffs. Like, who's your number three guy? Is it going to be Barrios? Is it going to be Stripling? And Stripling's making a really strong case that it could be him because I think that's the one, you know, you mentioned that we had a good rotation. I think we, we could throw four or five guys out there that, you know, we really thought they could go complete games every time they went out there. And I think that's, you know, that, that, that's going to be a big deal for them going forward. Like, do they have that guy that can do that? And, you know, they do have enough bullpen depth now to like like cover some things. Uh, you know, if if, it, if they don't be able to, to go the third time through the order, so I think you just take it as a game by game basis. The score should dictate whether or not he goes through the third time of the order or whatever. But he's really done a good job, and it hasn't been a fluke because he's 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 held he's done really well over the past eight or nine starts. It is Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 650. Josh Elliott Wolf and Israel Fair joined by Tim Leeper, and you mentioned the bullpen. I wanted to ask about that and. How much of an addition do you think Anthony Bass has been in kind of stabilizing that bullpen and being a big part of why it's improved in the last few weeks? Yeah, I think it's been good, but I also think it's the balance. It's the balance between the starting pitching and the relievers. Because, you know, they, they still at the trade deadline, they didn't go out and address that, you know, the, the swing and miss guy. And, and you see how important, you know, even like last night with Romano having that swing and miss stuff, going out for the second inning and being able to get strikeouts, that's really important in your pen. I mean, it's just, it's given them that it's given them a lot of depth and it's been giving them a chance. The starting pitch has given them a chance not to be overused. So it's like, if you use a guy one night, you don't necessarily have to go back to him the second night. And my, my biggest concern or not really concern is like, just when you start deploying your closer for multiple innings, which you do late in the season, you do that. Like they're going to it early with Romano and he, and, but he's been super pitch efficient, but it's also like those guys aren't used to going to two innings. Like that would be my biggest area of concern, like going forward, looking at this right now is like, like, are, are we trying to do two innings with him too much? Cause you want him strong going into the playoffs and, and definitely in the playoff series where we're, we're going to is probably going to happen. Um, that, that's the biggest thing. But, again, they've done a nice job with the depth. Again, I think them not having the swing and miss stuff is something that, that's going like, to like play as, as some games going forward. The Jays have the Angels this weekend, and then the Chicago Cubs uh, with a familiar face, Marcus Stroman, making his return to Toronto. Uh, what, what's your interest in seeing the Stroh show uh, pitch against the Blue Jays? It'll be entertaining, you know, <laughs> and, you know, Nat, Nat, the Nat F. and Bailey comment. Yes, a classic. <laughs> Which I uh, every time I I, I, I talk to a Rashford daddy now I, I always open that's my opener with him. <laughs> Matt F. and Bailey, but uh, it's it's going to be great. You know I think he lives for those moments. The whole thing you just talked about on Twitter, like I was kind of following that the one day that he blocked Gibby, it made me laugh. It was funny <laughs> when I when I reached out to guys, hey, I, I said Stroh, 
like Gibby, I, I, everyone said, you know, he obviously didn't know, you know, yeah. it was Gibby. But that's, uh, that's great. But he, he, he's going to be great. It's going to be a fun weekend. I know Stroh lives for that stuff. And, you know, there was all the things that kind of overshadowed what a great career he had in Toronto, like, like at the end. Like, this guy's a competitor, and, like, he loves that stage. And if you're a fan going out to a game and going to watch him pitch against his old team, which you know he wants to go out and just absolutely shove against them, especially to, get a, to, to beat the front office probably more than he wants to beat the team. Like, <laughs> that's going to be entertaining, and it's worth the price of admission, no doubt. Speaking of Gibby on Twitter, are you surprised? Like, what 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 should people be expecting here? Because I, I just based on reading the tweets, I think that people are going to get a side of Gibby that I saw being in 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 the manager's office and and doing the pregame chats and stuff. But uh, he's he's really putting it out there. I think it's going to be great. It's awesome. I'm not on Twitter, but I, like I, you know, you, you do catch the wind of the things that are going on. I I, I got the picture of him yesterday. With the margarita and, and <laughs> yes. a bowl of queso, like who knows? It's going to be great. And you know, one thing about Gibby, everyone asked how he was. Like he is, and and you, and you, you just said it, you've been around him. Like he is exactly what you would expect him to be, and all these things. But I think it's going to be great. You know, I don't know what exactly he wants going forward, but like it's going to be entertaining. And you know, one thing about Gibby, like when you get him on, and you start talking about baseball, you realize how intelligent he is, yeah. how smart he is, what great feel he has for the game, how great he is with people. And, like, those are the things you got to see inside the room. Like, you know, a lot of these managers today, like, like to go out and talk big and whatever, and they'd hide themselves, and, and, and they're different in the clubhouse than they are in public. But Gibby, he's, he's about as real as a guy you can get. I think it's going to be really cool for people who are fans of the Blue Jays, just people who are fans of baseball, to get to see him the way he truly is. Yeah, it's definitely going to be fun. Hey, Tim, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and enjoy the uh, stretch run down to October here. Yeah, it's going to be great. Always good talking to you guys. Thanks, Thank later. Uh, that's Tim, Tim Leeper, first, former first page co- coach for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Gibby on Twitter. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, man. Amazing. At first, I wasn't sure if it was actually him. So I actually had a, yeah. a Marcus Stroman moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just it, the way that he tweets is very much the way that he talks in casual conversations. And, right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was kind of picturing myself back in the manager's office and just he's, he is, it's true to, to what, um, Leap was just saying there. Gibby definitely played into that. You know, I'm, I'm a Southern guy. I'm a Texan guy. Oh, and, shucks. Yeah, yeah, but then you get and talking to him, and I remember uh, I have a couple, a couple quick Gibby stories. One of them was I was working on this piece about uh, I think this was Jay Happ. Was a Jay's pitching piece, and I was going through all the numbers and uh, looking at his pitch selections and all this kind of stuff. I'd prepared all of this stuff, and I went and talked to Gibby about it. And without looking at any of the data, I spent hours poring over. He knew exactly the pitches that Hap was throwing, what, what he was doing with the baseball, what was different, what, what how he was attacking different guys, and I and what, what which pitches he was throwing, why he was throwing them. And I was like, I mean, obviously he's a major league manager, and I, yeah. I, I don't didn't have quite enough sports analysis experience at the time, but I was like, <laughs> that's a that's a major theme across our show today. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, like. This guy just, he's been around the game so often, so much, that he he can just look at what J-Hap's doing and know exactly what he's going to do next. And it was a really eye-opening conversation. That was earlier in his tenure. That was before uh, the playoff year. So this would have been like 2014. And then 2017, the last year that I covered the team full-time, was the one major disagreement that we had. And it's interesting that it comes up because it was about third time through the order. So what Ross Stripling is going with, uh, happening with him right now, the way that they're managing his innings. The Jays were playing in Seattle, and Joe Biagini was being made into a starter. 
and there came a point in the game where he was pitching well. I think he'd only given up one run over six innings. We get into the seventh inning, and it's the third time through. Mm-hmm. And the decision was made by John Gibbons to keep Biagini in the game. He ends up giving up two runs. They lose the game. And by then, the season was more or less over. I think this was uh, in July, and they had a horrible start. So they weren't really in the mix. But if they were going to make a push, they, they couldn't afford to lose games like that. Yeah. After the game, I asked him, hey, what are your thoughts on third time through? Is that something that you think about? And he gave me a really angry answer about, <laughs> you know, yeah, you can look at all these stats, but doesn't mean anything, blah, 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 blah. And in the column that I wrote that night, I actually defended the third time through because I said it is very easy for us to sit here and say, look, a guy like Ross Stripling, a guy like Joe Biagini, they shouldn't they shouldn't be facing the lineup a third time through. They're not an ace. No, yeah. they're not they're not the top pitchers in the league, and there are ways to manage those guys. Just like the way that Leaper was saying what you see with Ross Stripling. Obviously, he's a major league pitcher. He's a good you don't pitch against two teams in your division, give up one run over 13 innings and not be good. But it's the consistency that's not quite there, and you have to really manage that. And I wrote, I defended Gibby because I also said you have to take into account that the night before the bullpen had to come in early, so they didn't have the same sort of bullpen depth that he would normally had. He he tried to get through an inning, it didn't work out. Yes, the math says the third time through for a certain caliber of pitcher makes sense. Blah blah blah. And he, but he 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 really gave me a look, and then he quoted Teddy Roosevelt, <laughs> former American president, with the he has a quote about being the man in the arena, and it's very easy for the outsiders to say what you should do, but when you're the one making the decision, you have to live with it. And the next day, and I wasn't upset with him at all, the next day he found me on the field and he apologized for what he thought was maybe a bit confrontational. And I told him, look, hey, um, I I actually defended you in my column. Uh, I I, I have to ask the question because that's a statistical thing. That's what happened. Yeah. You kept kept the guy in, the runs came in, and the the math tells you you probably should have taken him out. And he 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 kind of sheepishly grinned and said that he would he would have the media relations teams get the the column for him so he could read it. <laughs> but he wanted to say like, hey, no hard feelings, whatever. Right. Um, and that I I think that like that's the kind of guy that he is, and that the fans will be served by having him on Twitter. And yes. To Leap's point, I don't know exactly what he's trying to get out of this. I know he's promoting a podcast and he's involved in some other endeavors, but uh, he's actually he's also going to be on Tim and Friends on Sportsnet later today. Yeah. So he's making the rounds and. He, he over the course of his Jays tenure, really became a beloved figure. He Especially because he, he was a guy in 2015-16. Yeah, year. and like he had some ups and downs in the, his first time as manager. And then in the early days in 2013, that team was supposed to be good, and they weren't. And a lot of people went at John Gibbons, and he's stayed consistent the whole time. Maybe as he got older, he relaxed a little bit. He wasn't trying to fight players like he did with Ted Lilly in the 2000s. <laughs> yes. and. The, those instances, Shea Hillenbrand, like he was a fiery guy, and you see that, and that's like that's what I experienced in some degree when I ask about Joe Biagini and third time through. He has that passion, he loves the game, and he really knows what he's talking about. He and and he doesn't need. I think he, he the guys like him that have been around the game that way, and, and Tim Leeper is the same. He's been around the game forever. He's coached t- for Team Canada at the World Baseball Classics. They don't have to look at a player for an hour to figure out what they're about. They, they just, they have that mindset and they, they can pick things up so quickly. Like Leaper first base coach and also was the outfield coach. Mm-hmm. And he, he would be the one in charge of um, putting guys where they're supposed to be. 
And so he worked with Kevin Pillar when Kevin Pillar was making all of those catches. And he knew exactly where he needed to put Kevin Pillar on the field to make those catches because he's just they've been around the game so much and they, they've seen so much baseball and they're smart about it. And I think it's cool that a guy like Leeper can come on the radio and talk to us about that stuff and that for Jays fans, John Gibbons is going to be airing it out on Twitter with his, as you said earlier, Josh, some, some dad tweets thrown in there as well. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people... Especially when it comes to baseball, they just view coaches as guys that are like, "Hey, do this and yeah. hope it works out." And there's a Get lot a more that run. Yeah, there's a lot more that goes into it than that. Uh, it is Sportsnet today. There was more baseball news, really big news coming out of Seattle. Julio Rodriguez signing an extension with the Mariners. He's going to be there for a while, and we're going to talk about it next segment. We'll also get into a little bit more on the Canucks and uh, a bit. Uh, We'll also do Don't At Me at 120, and we'll also take your confessions for Confession Friday, Mailbag Friday. We already have a few questions there. We will do that next. It is Sportsnet Today with Josh Elliott Wolf and Israel Fair on Sportsnet 650. What you need to do is be thankful for the life you got, you know what I'm saying? Stop looking at what you ain't got. Start being thankful for what you do got. Let's get it to him, baby girl. Hey! Sportsnet today. Josh Elliott Wolf. Is real fair. I'm trying to hit it. Producer Ben Bazran. Sportsnet today. On Sportsnet 650. Yes! Woo! Woo! That was, that was a good one. Yeah. That was good. I think we needed a little less build-up. All right. But I that's, don't, I don't control that's fine. That. Well, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'll do better next time. Can you ask the producer of the song? Um, it Swiss, is Sports- Swiss Beats? Yes, please. Uh, it is Sportsnet today. Josh Elliott Wolf, Israel Fair. We were just joined by Tim Leeper. Uh, we talked a lot of Jays. We're still going to talk baseball right now. I know people love the baseball talk. We're going to talk baseball. Uh, Julio Rodriguez signing a really major deal in Seattle. Huge. With a lot of options. Yes. There are a lot of options. Jeff Passan, uh, ESPN MLB insider, lays out the contract in a five-tweet thread. There are five. He needs five tweets to explain. That's four too many tweets. <laughs> what this, it's not a straight up, hey, you know, like when JT Miller signs or doesn't sign, wherever he ends up signing, when it, if, if it's with the Canucks or it's a free agent, it's going to be JT Miller signs an eight-year contract for $55 million. And maybe there's something, oh, and he can get, you know, there's a player. Well, I don't, like, no, that's it. It's yeah, it. that's it. Uh, he has a no-trade clause, yes, maybe. That, that, that might yeah. be it. But this, um, yes, starts with, there's a lot to digest on Julio Rodriguez' extension with Seattle, per ESPN sources, all from Jeff Passan. The deal could be for 8, 13, 16, or 18 years. So the, right there, four lengths are yes. possible based on that's, uh, that's options. Too, too many lengths. Uh, right, because you think, yeah. okay, there's going to be, you know, player option. It turns out there's a player option and a club option. Uh, the short version is that the guarantee for Julio Rodriguez is $210 million. Mm-hmm. Um, For eight years. Yeah. And if it maxes out, if he plays 18 years, so that would go... till 2040? Yeah. Whew. 
he would uh he would get 470 million now for it to go 18 years um there's it, it all hinges on mvp voting uh, jeff passan concludes the tweet with saying that the likeliest outcome is that he plays for them for 16 years through 2037 mm-hmm. and will make at least 320 million but based on MVP performances and the, the way that the options are played out, probably more. So we're looking at something probably pretty close to a $400 million contract um, and says that if things go well, and the Mariners are banking on it, this guy's been fun. Home run derby, stole the show. He didn't win it, but he stole the show. Mm-hmm. 20 2020 20. season. Yeah, He's charismatic. He plays a great center field. Uh, he's been a big part of, like, They've been exciting to watch this year, and he's hitting in the leadoff spot right now. And it seems like every time I turn it on and I'm watching, he's on base or he's coming up. When they, the Mariners have played a lot of close games, this is the continuation of what they were last year. But Fun they're winning more. High. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. he's he's in the mix always. And as a rookie, 21 year old, that's super impressive. And if he if this turns into the most financially lucrative deal in American sports history, probably means this guy's had a pretty pretty amazing career. Definitely. It's it's pretty wild, though, because I, I don't know. Like, I watch Julio Rodriguez. I trust what he's doing, and I trust that he's going to continue being a really, really good player. I don't know if I commit that much to him this early, though. Like, first year, and you're already going, hey, even, even at worst, I believe, like, if he doesn't hit anything, it's eight years, $120 million, if I remember correctly, or 210 Um that's a lot. But again, if it works out, you've committed to this guy early and now you don't have to worry about him leaving in the future unless he opts out after that eighth year. Yeah. Something like you show him that you're committed to him essentially. And that's, that has some value, especially when you're a place that like you had Ken Griffey Jr. had, you had Felix Hernandez, yep. but you're not really bringing in star talent all that often. No. And he's, he's, came into this year as a hugely touted prospect his first couple weeks were a bit rough but I think he had some bad luck and since then he's been really solid and as a 21 year old playing center field in the big leagues on a team that's in the wild card race to have he's just under an 800 OPS that's pretty impressive and I think this is the interesting part in terms of the loyalty and the commitment so he's gonna play in Seattle for the next seven or eight years what hinges on it is that after year seven the Mariners have a club option that they can extend that contract out to the 13, 16, 18. Or I guess in, in that case, it's actually the 16 or the 18 after yeah, seven so years. He has the player option to go to 13 he, and there's and club then, the, Yeah, the next year. So after, through the eighth year. So after seven years, they can say we're going to add eight or 10 years. On top of the other eight year. And then it's such just, a complicated If he just contract. plays out the eight year contract, and the Mariners did not pick up the club option after seven, he can opt in for another five years. Mm-hmm. And so that puts him in a position where, I guess, let's if he's not good, if he's not as good as they think he's going to be, and they're not interested in having him around for another eight or ten years beyond the original contract, he can still opt in for five years. Right. So he's put himself in a position where, I guess, they've got, they're definitely invested in him yeah. because they're willing to say, hey, if, even if this doesn't really work out, you can 
you can, opt in you for can five screw years. us later yeah. if you want we're just hoping that it works out yeah and that that's fascinating and like that's the thing by then you know by year seven you'll know are we going to extend this guy beyond this are we going to pick up the option but it it adds it definitely adds a a dynamic to watching this team over the next few years and they they've been handing out some contracts they gave Robbie Ray a big contract in the offseason nothing like this and nothing for a position player that they hope can be you know the stalwart the, the, what the Jays fans are expecting from Vlad Guerrero but he hasn't signed anything near this no. kind of contract and that that's kind of my next question is what happens now with Vlad what happens with Soto because those are the two guys that need contracts, and they probably look at this, and especially Soto because he plays in the outfield and has proven it for quite a bit longer. Um, he probably looks at that and says, hey, I want over $500 million. I don't know if San Diego is going to be that place just because they have Tatis and they have Machado, but uh, it will be interesting to see what he gets paid as well. Uh, this is Sportsnet today. Josh Elliott Wolf Israel Fair. You can text in the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. It is the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Okay, so we're going to get to Don't At Me at 1220 today, so get those in. Uh, also, like I said earlier, it is Friday. Usually on Fridays, we do a mail, but like throughout the afternoon on the station, there's usually the people show in the Canucks season. There will be Canucks Central. But they usually have the mailbag. They usually have Confession Friday. So we're doing it all in this two-hour show because after this, we're going right into baseball for the rest of the day. So we do have a confession that I was going to get in. We got it earlier in the show. Yep. I can't say who it's from. I almost said who it's from. <laughs> they say, I haven't been to work on time for two years but because I'm the first one in the building, no one could call me out on it. That's a pretty minor confession, I think. Yeah. I, I think mean, that's kind of normal. Yeah. If I was the first one in a building and I knew I could still get my job done in the amount of time that I have left in the day, even if I'm late. Yeah. I would do it. Yeah. I think that's fine. You get by on this one. Yeah. I mean, I've had the reverse, which you don't, I know you've worked some of these late night overnights, but in radio, you don't really have the benefit of this. But when I was working in a newsroom, I would be the last person in the newsroom. Right. And I would leave early and walk home, which was about 30 minute walk from the office, and finish my shift from home. So I wasn't leaving the office. My shift would go e either ended at 11 p.m. or midnight, depending on the day. And I was the last one there. So I would leave sometimes at 10 and I would go walk half an hour and set up my computer at the office so I would at least be home already when right. my shift ended. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Statute of limitations is up. That was like 10 years ago. <laughs> You're yeah. still doing your work though. Yeah. yeah. And then there was no one else there. So it's not like I needed to be there for meetings or to be as like the lights would actually at this, at this newsroom, the lights would go out at 10 PM. <laughs> so old... if I, even if I stayed Incentive. to work to 11 or midnight, it was in darkness because it was a huge building that the lights were controlled by like master control. So the <laughs> lights went out. I'd be sitting in my computer. I would just be sitting by myself in this massive newsroom. The, the only light from my screen computer. illuminating yeah. your face. And that's yes. it. That's uh that's tough. That's like a horror movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're idea, saying actually. there were no 10 o'clock meetings in the dark, no 10 o'clock meetings in the dark. Dang. Yeah. The only time I would have something similar is when I was doing updates. Um, but everybody, 
everybody did this. If you were working, if you were doing the evening updates and all mm-hmm. the games had ended, yeah, you just kind of pre-record and you can and you can just dip. Yeah. Uh, so I would do that. Sometimes I would leave like two, three hours early though. Yeah, I don't. I don't work there anymore. It's fine. Well, I still work in the building. I guess they could, <laughs> <laughs> they could call me out on it, but I got the job done. That's all that matters. Especially because I would do this. So my shift used to be I would do sports updates for News Eleven Thirty, now City News Eleven Thirty, right. and Sportsnet Six Fifty when we had updates. Mm-hmm. I would do it from one p.m. to ten p.m. on Saturdays. Sometimes later if games went to overtime or whatever. But then I would come in Sunday morning, and I would do 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., which is a relatively quick turnaround, especially because you kind of have to come in early to get your updates ready. So usually if I could dip out early on Saturday nights, I would dip out early on Saturday nights. Um, we got a couple, a few questions uh, for Mailbag as well. These are all from uh, Discount Dracula. The first one, sports-related. Who is the best Pavel all-time in the NHL. The best Pavel in the all-time NHL. So I think it comes down to two. That's Zucker Burrett. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I would say... That's a good... That's a great toss-up. I would say that's That's where my head is going. My heart's obviously going Burrett. <laughs> Burrett, yeah. I mean, offensively, if it was purely offense... Like, Datsuk is also obviously still really, really good. Yeah. But I would say Burrett. Yeah. But then Dadzuk, 60 goal seasons. Yeah, Dadzuk had the all-around, like, the elite two-way forward capability. I feel like his legacy is actually kind of underrated. Not to jump on another segment that's very popular on, overrated, on the underrated. show. Overrated, I think that's a lot of people's favorite segment. is underrated right now. I totally agree. Yeah. We don't talk we don't, about him at all. Why don't we talk about him? Like, why don't we talk about him? He was so good. Red Wings fans love him, but yeah, outside of Detroit, like... I mean, he wasn't flashy off the ice like it's not like you had stories about him you know even like someone like Henrik Lundqvist it's like oh he's handsome like like that's his legacy he was looked good in a suit and he played <laughs> in New York and he was on the cover of magazines like that's yeah. had none of that no he was just a he was just a guy who was really good at hockey and then just went home yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um definitely yeah I, it's I would still say Datsuk it, it's Definitely a conversation, though. It's a toss-up. I think a lot of people in Vancouver would jump to Bray, but NHL-wide, probably Dadzook. Uh, next question. If your favorite deceased musician did a hologram tour, would you go to the show? I feel like um, this is weird without music. Can you get the mailbag music? If you can. Thank you, producer. Brad. I'll find it. Thank you. Um, if you did... So if your favorite deceased mu- musician... The hologram show, would you go to the show? So, like I, I a Michael so. Jackson no. situation. Uh, There's the music. No, it still doesn't change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm in. The music started. I'm feeling a little, little uh, jazzy. The thing is, all my favorite musicians are alive. So, I don't know. I don't think so either because it would feel cheap. Like I would just be like I'm I mean, watching yeah, I don't think a screen. I'd be impressed by it. Yeah. Yeah. It would depend on the price, maybe, but I don't think I would want to go to a. Like I would maybe watch it on TV, but I wouldn't want to go to like BC Place to see a hologram. Yeah, I, I don't know. The hologram part makes it eerie for sure. Um, 
almost as eerie as a newsroom that's dark at 10 p.m. Yeah, <laughs> if, I mean, if, if, if I was there and a hologram of like Tupac was hanging out, like I'd be like, yeah, cool, like let's 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 bang some California <laughs> love or something. Yeah. I would, but I would I would go to like a concert, let's call it, or like a DJ set that's geared like let's use Tupac as the example. Yeah. BC Place was like, hey, we're gonna have like a Tupac night and we're just gonna play a bunch of cool Tupac songs. But we're not going to have a hologram. I might be more interested in that. The hologram, I'm kind of like, eh. Just, yeah. like, just play the music. Cause obvious, enjoy the music. Obviously, the person's not there singing. <laughs> you're so not you're, fooling you're, me. Th- the sound is coming from somewhere. But do you think if the hologram was so good, like initially you'd be like, hey, you know what? This is weird. I'm not. I'm seeing through this. I'm not, not into it. But then as the concert goes on, maybe you just kind of buy into it a little bit more and you... You enjoy it. You think the guy's actually there? I don't know. I don't know. I would have to see. Holograms would have to come a long way. Definitely not the, uh, did you see the, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name at the the Field of Dreams game. Harry Carey. Yes. That one was weird. Yeah. Didn't like that one. Yeah. That was a, that was a no for me. Uh, next question. What is your favorite PNE slash Playland ride? Ooh, good question. I haven't been in a while, but I, I'm a fan. I like rides. Do you like rides? Yes. Yeah. So I, so I didn't like rides in general until I went to... I didn't go to Disneyland until I was like 18 years old. Okay. But then I went, and I was like, you know what? Rides are pretty good. Okay. Um, so I, then I've I, always loved rides. Then I came back to Playland, and I enjoyed everything there. Do you have an answer like off the right right away? I would say wooden roller coaster. Okay. That, that's favorite. probably where I was going to go. I had a soft spot for Crazy Beach Party. I know it's not there anymore. Yeah, that and there's, was a good one. There's something that's similar. I think it's called The Beast. That's the Beast kind of, is... Yeah, but that's way in the air. Yeah. So yeah. it's it, The Beast is like a more souped up version. Yeah. But I, I, I was a fan of Crazy Beach Party. Um, the elevator's okay. I mean, yeah, the wooden the, the, the wooden roller coaster is classic. Definitely. Yeah, I would say that. The corkscrew is good too. Okay, yeah. But then I always think of the, uh, the Final Destination thing. Yes. Where they I, used... I, the same same thought has <laughs> yeah. crossed my mind. So now I don't really go on it. Um, I will say I'm not a fan of like the the elevator type ones. Yeah, where I prefer roller coasters. Okay, so that's why I would go wooden roller coaster, especially because it's. I feel like it's the perfect amount of thrilling. Mm-hmm. Like you're almost coming out of your seat. Yes. You're like, man, I could die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but you don't. Uh, so that's perfect. Um, up next. Another question, Adam, the former bath guy. If you guys were on the Titanic when it hit the iceberg, what would you do to save yourselves? Probably nothing. I can't swim very well. I would be done. <laughs> well, if you, in the movie, in the movie, I would find a door. In, in the movie, the guy, Jack. Uh, no, no, the, the guy played by Billy Zane pretends to have a child. That's his thing. Oh yeah, yeah. He's like, yes. I have a child, and he gets on the boat. <laughs> yeah, and just sits there. Yeah, and he. Yeah. he so I, yeah, I guess I just. You would if, do if that. If it was good enough for the movie, you'd Billy Zane it. I'd absolutely. But he's I think the, his name's Cal the, in the movie. He's something. the bad guy. Yeah, but he he survived. But he lives. He didn't end up in the bottom of a frozen ocean. That's where I kind of struggle with these things. Like, yeah, you're selfish, and it's like the bad thing to do. But he's alive. Just grab a kid, oh, man. And I, you know what? If you live, you get to tell the story. Yeah. Exactly. I was selfless. I swam to shore. But yeah. They picked the me up. In I the survived boat. the Titanic. Yeah. You're, like, you're a legend. <laughs> Were you the guy that was sitting in the middle of a bunch of women and children? <laughs> yes, yeah. but also... With your child? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. I would probably... 
I would try to get on a lifeboat, obviously, but I don't think I would be successful. And then I think I would, I just, swimming is not my specialty. So if there's anything happening in the water, I'm done. Um, especially if it's cold. As it was. It was cold in the Arctic. Um, up there's, next. There's icebergs. Iceberg, there's icebergs just everywhere. Um, this text from Avatar. It's kind of interesting. So you know how in the playoffs a lot of teams will they'll sell tickets to watch away games in their home arena? Sure. So we get this text. I would much rather watch a sports game being played in an away city hologrammed in my I've home. I've thought bed. about this before. Yeah. I've even thought about uh like if we're gonna reach a point in technology where it's you can like have the hologram somewhere in your home. Oh. <laughs> like the hologram like at on that? your table? Yeah. yeah, yeah like yeah. see it that way. Um that that I would be interested in. That would be cool. That, that, I'm also cool. the guy you, have you seen those um I think they do them a lot in basketball actually. Like the the like the diagrams that move of players on the court. I will oh, watch yeah. those where it's just yes. like it's just a little dot little and it's just like Steph Curry away. goes to the corner and then it's like another little line of a pass and then the thing goes in and like I watch that so <laughs> a hologram version of that sounds amazing yeah that's so a hologram step Steph that. Curry when Kawhi Leonard came back to Toronto in his first game as a member of the Clippers I was going to school in Toronto I went to the game and what they did for the intro was they hologrammed his footsteps for the oh shot yeah yeah that was Billy, cool and they put his footsteps onto the thing and then yeah all that's the, way to the cool. corner and I, and everyone's just going crazy that's not right? creepy that's cool I'm like, no. if it gets to like that where you can kind of do a hologram similar to that like that's that's interesting there's definitely a line though where it does get creepy but if you're doing stuff like that that's really cool I do think yeah hologram I would go to let's say the Canucks were in the Stanley Cup final they were playing in uh, Boston whatever and they were like hey. We're going to do this hologram on the ice. You're going to see through the players. You're going to tell that it's a hologram, but also you're going to it's going to slip your mind at some point because you're going to be so into the game. I would I would pay to watch it. I would also assume the tickets would be cheaper too. Uh I don't know. <laughs> the Oilers uh I believe were charging like $100 in the playoffs for people to do that in Edmonton this year. To, not, not obviously not just hologram, to watch on a just screen. Just to watch on the screen. Yeah. That's that's tough. 100 bucks for 100 bucks. Yeah. That's gross. You can like rent a movie theater for that and yeah. watch it on there. That's also fun. I like I miss when because I think Cineplex would do that yeah. when the Canucks were in the final. Mm-hmm. Anytime a team goes to the final, brands kind of hop yep. on. Uh, yes. Let's do don't at me. So we only have a few minutes, but let's do don't. We're fitting all the Friday. This segments. is just like a this is a blender. It's a hodgepodge. Okay, we're doing don't at me on Sportsnet today. Usually on. Oh, my goodness. I'll wait. You can try again. <laughs> Give me a moment. Yeah. So much is going you on. You got to press now. it again and then unpress. Your takes. There we go. Interrupted. I did it. Don't at me. Text in your submissions to 650 650. Don't at me. I said, it is don't at me. Brought to you by Lease Busters. I don't have the full read in front of me. I'm sorry. But it's brought to you by Lease Busters. I don't even think we need to do it. We it's don't. not that show. <laughs> it's not that show. Um, don't at me. I said the Titanic in, uh, sunk in the Arctic. It was the Atlantic. That's not cold. even don't at me. That's just a confession. 
Now yes. I'm now I'm confused on what segments we're doing. The text box is uh yeah. Is, there's they historians. Called me yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The iceberg came, I assume, from the Arctic though. <laughs> broke free. I don't know. They were pretty high up. They were high. They I, were I high enough up there that it's cold. The they water in would the be cold. They weren't in the Caribbean. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd probably all be alive. Unless there was well, a rock. Billy Zane for sure would be. <laughs> yeah. Billy Zane would do anything in his power to get to shore. Um, <laughs> don't at me. The BC Lions would have much more success if they were playing in Surrey. Fan, fan well, success. Financial success? Both. Like the that they would be more relevant. They would well, be more relevant. People would care about them a little bit more. And I'm not saying people don't care about them. Because the environment at a, let's call it 30,000 seat stadium would it, make it more attractive for people to go. It would be an event. As It'd be like going, you know how going to the Nat is yeah. like, it's a fun event. You don't really care how the team is doing, but yeah. you go because it's it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be similar. Whereas, like, going to BC Place, it's kind of, especially for as someone that lives in Surrey, mm-hmm. it's very much a chore to get down to, like, you can take the SkyTrain, but it still takes a while. If you're a family, you got to bring all your kids on there. It's a whole thing. Whereas yeah, if yeah. it's in Surrey, it's it's a lot easier. Yeah, so that's I, I my reverse that. argument is I'm going to the game tonight, and if the game was in Surrey, I wouldn't probably go to the game. But you live on in North Van, right? I live on the North Shore, yeah. Shout right. out. So whew. you're you're outnumbered. <laughs> I'm outnumbered. I don't know. Like so, it's it probably goes both ways. There's more of a population in Surrey, and I get that. But you'd lose definitely like the ever all the entire west side's not going to games anymore. Like then people are like downtown's just in the middle. I don't know. It, it's but nice to have it that way. Are you getting more people from Langley and Abbotsford and maybe Chilliwack? But they also need fewer people to make it. Yeah. If it's if the stadium's smaller, if you cut the stadium in half, fair. Then yeah, they lose. I I live in the North Shore too, so they probably lose us. But they pick up people, and they they only need half the people to go. Mm-hmm. That's fair enough. I got a Lions don't at me. Oh man, as has to do with tonight's game. We are going to talk Let's Lions go. next. Don't at me. Too. The Lions are winning tonight. The Woo! Lions are winning tonight. The Lions are winning. Nathan works out. It's a really crappy injury and crappy timing because they were really building some momentum talking about relevance popularity people were i tuned in the last three weeks i was love to watch it they're gonna win tonight they're gonna okay. beat the riders all right rivalry night bc place Dang. will it be how many riders fans are gonna be there a lot, a lot. like this like i go to my family's from saskatchewan so they bleed green yeah like i'm a little bit scared it's gonna be a ton of it's gonna be a, I would say thousands for sure. Yeah, like I feel like maybe not to the same extent as like a Blue Jays game in Seattle, but similar vibe where if the Riders get a touchdown, there's usually a like when the Habs or Leafs are in town. To probably play. similar. Like it's like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go where Leafs go, and then we like go Canucks go. Yeah, where it's competing chance and, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, uh, probably very similar. I do think I don't know their their defense has been really good this year. It's not unrealistic to assume they're going to win, even without Nathan Rourke. And then everybody buys in completely. They can win without the best quarterback in the league. Uh, don't at me. This is from the text line. Bill from Buffalo. Doug McCallum wants to build a stadium he can play footy in. <laughs> For personal use. For personal 60, use. 60,000. He just wants what? to imagine. He's going to put holograms in the, in the seats. Hey, that would be good use of technology. There we go. Um, so if, so let's say theoretically by the time the world cup was here, if 
this stadium could be built, do you think they would be open to playing a game or two in Surrey? Uh, I think they would go. Uh, it, well, if it's 60,000? Yeah. Yeah, that would be interesting. Because it would be a new stadium. I assume they would make it not artificial turf. It would be real. Yeah. Do you think they would prefer the new stadium and maybe a worse location compared to BC Place, which is right on the water, and in Vancouver? Uh, I think they probably just go to BC Place, especially because FIFA had the Women's World Cup here and they have the, the familiarity. So and I, from what I understand, they, they FIFA loves Vancouver for the backdrop and stuff like that. Yeah. If, it's, if it's Surrey and there's no parking and it's just like, here's the SkyTrain. <laughs> like, it's in a forest. Yeah. Peru versus Ghana. <laughs> Let's go. I think, that, but I think what they would just do is um, they would have the stadium, but then they would, in all the like cut shots, it would still just be Vancouver. But who knows? All right, that's Stone at me. Uh, there's still a couple others we'll get to on the other side of the break. One of them is really long, but I'll I'll try to read it next <laughs> next segment. We'll also it's good, talk- actually. I've I've scanned it. It's good. yeah, it's good. I've been reading. I will talk. Uh, we'll talk BC Lions. We'll also talk. Uh, Aaron Donald is making headlines for trying to hit heads. Uh, we'll talk about that and more at Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 650 with Josh Elliott Wolf. Israel Fair. On Sportsnet 650. Sportsnet today, Josh Elliott Wolf, Israel Fair, producer Ben Bazran. So one thing we like to do on Sportsnet today, and I know you're usually on the people show. You're usually on more important shows than this one. I've done my fair share of Sportsnet today. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Sportsnet today, Sportsnet tonight. Uh, usually on the weekend, though. Yeah, you you've hosted quite a few shows on the weekend. Lots of lots of four-hour shows on the weekend. Lots of four lots of fun on the weekend. But what we do, <laughs> four hours of fun. Four hours of fun. What we like to do is we rate Ben's music throughout the show. So we usually it's two hours, so we kind of give him a ranking out of four. So today I would probably go. Three out of four. I didn't... I think you've been going to Miami a little bit too much. It's a crowd pleaser, though. It is. <laughs> <laughs> he started dancing. Hey, well, he hasn't heard it. I've heard it. That's what I mean. Probably two or three times now. You're a regular host. He's Thank trying you. to make an impression. Yeah. The new guy. He's like, I got to pull out the big guns. Where's Where's Will Smith? I mean, California Love just put it over the top. Well, yeah. California he said Love Tupac was a hit. California Love in the last segment, yeah. and I was like, "Well, now I know what to play." I'll give you that one. And the, and the Tupac holograms here as well. Oh! <laughs> I'll take three to four. That's seventy-five percent. Yeah, you know what? It's still a good day. I only had one critique. Are you a tough grade, or just do you get fours? He's a tough. I've not. You've never gotten a four. a four. I think I've given you a four. Last time I, was, I got two. Lena was a bit tougher than me. Lena gave me one. That uh, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Lena's Lena very tough. gave me tough. four one time. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Getting a four from Lena is like, that's like a seven out of four for me. She was it because you were playing some deep cuts or what was the? She was just like, this isn't the vibe, Ben. And Josh was like, no, he's, it's this, this three to four. And Lena's like, one. Why did Whoa. He yeah. was like, why did you play Jason Derulo? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go and think about it for a bit. Um, I did say we we're going to get to a couple don't at me's. Uh, from the 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line that we did not get to last segment. By the way, it's Friday, but we we are the only afternoon show today. Same as the last three days. There's been no afternoon show besides this one. Lots of baseball. Lots of baseball. There's still going to be more baseball. Don't worry. 
We are playing baseball. Nooner at the Nat coming up next on Sportsnet 650 at 1 o'clock. And then the Blue Jays and then the Mariners, I believe. I would need to double-check the Mariners one, but I believe we are carrying that game. Either way, lots of hours of baseball. Um, But because it is the only afternoon show, we're mixing everything together. So we're doing Don't At Me. We're doing Confession Friday, if you have one, uh, and Mailbag, if you have any questions. So the Don't At Me, here's, so we have a short one, then we have a long one. So Marcus and Gibson's Don't At Me, only thing better than free Canadians tickets is getting the day off to watch the game. That does sound pretty great. I wish the weather was a little bit warmer. Yeah, it's going to rain tonight. Yeah, but hopefully uh, the rain holds off until after. Yeah, after I mean, the that's game. the thing. The nooner at the Nat is just a seminal part of Vancouver summers. Yes. It's like. If you if you get the day off, you know maybe you can cut out early for the one o'clock start. Yeah, take if you get the day. day off, you can have your first beer at one, and you're in a socially acceptable place for that because you're <laughs> yeah. watching a ball game. And yeah, you you kick off the weekend, and in that there's a reason why it's popular. And so look, Marcus and Gibson is on to something. And we've been missing it for the last couple years. Yeah, and I think there's only a couple weeks left in their season, or a couple home stands left. This in their season. is the second last one. Yes, so there's one more uh, in September. Appreciate it, September uh, 11th, I think. Yeah. Because I'm going to the last one, September 9th. I got my tickets. Appreciate it while we have it. September 9th is the last one. So if you're not going today, try to go September 9th because it's going to be lots of fun. You're going to enjoy yourself. I might go actually September 9th. I am going to the island. Family reunion. Oh, cool. Fun. Good times. (laughs) Um, You got to take the ferry. I got to take the ferry in the cubicle. cubicle. The, the best part is, like, my whole family will be on the ferry going that way. So I'd be like, hey, I just sorry. gotta go. <laughs> I gotta do my fantasy football <laughs> research. Um, this is a longer Don't At Me. So this one's from James in Ocean Park. It's good, though. It is very good. So I'm gonna read it out. Don't at me, but in respects to that 60,000 seat facility, I'd say Mayor McCallum has, hasn't gone, has not gone far enough and is being too conservative. What really needs to happen is, yes, a multi-purpose expandable stadium with a, tr- a retractable roof, but also around that complex needs an e-gaming entertainment facility, a movie theater, club, casino, hotels to accommodate, new restaurants and outdoor dining spaces, water parks, skate parks, really the whole shebang. My point is create an entertainment hub that can be used all year round and for a multitude of purposes, sports just being one of them. Oh, and high-speed rail connecting the Chilliwack-Abbotsford parts to the greater Vancouver region so they could come and enjoy the facilities. The thinking is build it and they will come. So I agree with everything to an extent. I still think the 60,000-seat stadium is overkill, but I I fully agree with the rest of it. If it was a twenty to 30,000-seat stadium, again, I really do think Surrey is kind of the ideal spot for the Lions and Whitecaps to play, but there's just nowhere for them to play there right now. So if you are able to develop something like that, and again, 60,000 seats is way too many seats for Surrey, but 20 to 30,000, and you do everything James and Ocean Park is saying here and pretty much make it an entertainment district, Yeah, that would make it really, really enticing and also the high-speed rail part, as someone that used to live in Chilliwack, dude, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. That's that's more of a long-term thing, though, but it would be cool. Look, if this is, yeah, exactly, go all in. The 60,000-seat 60, stadium sounds good, but that's old school. That's 90s. That's You're trying to get elected in the 90s. 
with that. This, this, this is you know, yeah. utopia. We're, we're going <laughs> to the future. Especially in Surrey. Like, look, I live in Surrey. I, it's growing. I think it gets a bad rap. Um, but as far as nightlife, there's not really much to do there. Well, there's nightlife, but not the nightlife that you would want yeah. to bring your family to. Sure. Or just hang out at. <laughs> um, but I do think... Uh, I do think having that whole entertainment district in Surrey is probably a good idea. It might happen one day. I don't think it's going to happen in the short term. Uh, we got a few don't at meets, a lot, a lot complaining about listening to baseball. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I'm sorry. But also, we're going to do it anyway. Um, don't at me. You forgot about F1 Fridays. We did not. It is in the rundown. It's in the rundown. I wanted to get to it. I don't know. Are you in I don't F1? know anything about F1. Okay. I know so who Lewis Hamilton is. I will carry this segment. As I, <laughs> if I can, but so F1 is returning from their summer break. F1 is an automobile. Uh, they drive cars around very fast. Yeah, they are incredibly fast. <laughs> they are so quick. I know that much. <laughs> um, but F1 returns this Sunday. So there's a race in Spa, which is in Belgium. And they're going to race there uh, after their summer break. So the summer break had a lot of drama. There was a lot of things that went down. Racer drivers are leaving for other teams today. There was an announcement Audi is going to join as a uh, engine supplier in 2026. So that's pretty big news. 2026 is when they're kind of changing the regulations for engines. So there's word that a lot of uh, car manufacturers are interested. So Audi's the first one, I believe. Porsche is also trying to get into the game. Mm. Um, so keep an eye on that. Audi's the first one to take the step, though. Uh, it is very far away. But it's going to be interesting to see because the, the issue in F1 right now, so from a casual fan's perspective, there's really only like three teams you can support that really have a chance at winning. And usually it's Mercedes, Mercedes. Red Bull, and Ferrari. Ferrari right. And so those teams, if you support them, you're usually going into every race thinking, hey, this team could win, but most other teams lack support because why would you want to support a team that's not winning that yeah. much? Um, but when companies like Audi and Porsche are coming in, those are situations where if you can add, they're not adding teams, they're joining teams, but essentially it'll improve the midfield a bit and maybe improve some of the back-end teams that are just expected to lose every race. If they can get those teams to be midfield teams and those midfield teams to be competing with mm -hmm. the likes of Ferrari, Red Bull, Mercedes, that would probably do a, a lot to help the sport as well. But again, that's 2026. Have you watched Drive to Survive? No. No? Are you just like fully against it? No, I just, I'm just i just not that interested. Oh, fair enough. I wasn't interested until I watched Drive to Survive. Yeah, I, I've know. heard. I, I'm too busy watching movies from the 1940s. <laughs> that's, that's my bag. That's so, your priority. Yeah, that's my bag. Um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the increase in popularity. And it's, it's been pretty wild. It's been interesting because I, I'm, so I'm a soccer fan. I'm a Premier League fan and have been for a long time. So it was really interesting to watch probably a decade ago, the sort of Premier League popularity surge, especially, I think, in the U.S. Or, and it, it happened in Canada, but I think Canada was maybe already a stronghold because 
games used to be on Sportsnet. Like when I was growing up, you'd you'd wake up on Saturday mornings. I would yeah. want to see Don Taylor, and it was it was soccer until I became <laughs> a soccer fan. And I was yeah. excited about that. But when NBC got Premier League rights, all of a sudden people all across the United States were getting up at four or five in the morning to watch, you know, Burnley Aston Villa. Yeah, and there was that popularity surge from different things, and like now something like Ted Lasso, for example, adds to it. Yeah. But the real beginning of that phenomenon in North America of people thinking it's normal to get up at five, six in the morning to watch a soccer team that's playing in England. 10 years ago, that really kicked off. But and, and to watch that sort of happen over the last three or four years with F1, where people are getting up at that time when some of those races are going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and because of the the Netflix influence of it, of having the show, I think is, is really interesting. It's just... I, I honestly follow probably too many sports. And as I get older, I have less time. So yeah. unlike a lot of the texters, I like baseball. I follow baseball. Yeah. Obviously, baseball live, takes a lot of time. I live here and for my job, follow the Canucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I follow the NFL and the Seahawks. Yep. I follow Premier League team. I like basketball. You've reached your mental. Like, so like for me, a thing was like, I used to always say, uh, this is the year I'm going to get really into college basketball. And I'm going to watch games during the season. And I'm not just going to watch the tournament. Mm-hmm. Not only do I not watch regular season college <laughs> basketball, I barely watch the tournament now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. F1 would take it would take a, a significant investment. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for the people that are, are fired <laughs> up for the race in Spa. I yeah. thought on the rundown that you just forgotten to finish out the, the word Spain. I thought the race <laughs> was in Spain. I should have given you more credit. <laughs> yeah, come As on. As an F1 head, come, come on. on. Yeah. <laughs> it's in Spa, Belgium. I should have put Belgium. Um, but anyway, it, well, the it, note was for you. I, I was yeah. just, I was just looking over your shoulder. It, it is, it is interesting because I, I consider myself part of it. Like I wasn't into F one until I watched Drive to Survive, and then last year, I would say I was like kind of into it. But this year, I have been like recording. I'm not waking up at five okay. a.m. But I record the races. I turn off my notifications on my phone the night before, so I record the races. Yeah. And then I'll probably wake up around like eight or whatever. And the the other nice thing is, so there's one race every week, maybe every two weeks, because mm-hmm. sometimes they have a buffer in there. The races are only an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. So it's not nasty. You don't really have to commit too much time to it. And you can kind of fast forward through if there's like a, a crash or whatever, you can fast forward through them cleaning it up if you record it. So it doesn't take too much time commitment. And usually the headlines are pretty easy to follow after you've watched the show. But it's like but the, you, you like are you you're attracted by the drama and yes. the rivalries and the the like you mentioned like Mercedes Red Bull Ferrari and it's the personalities of, that do it for yeah, me and okay. not the the racing itself is entertaining but and it's all like I I think it's like almost absurd what these guys do yeah like the amount of speed and g force they're carrying is. Is like like pretty... I look at the construction around the station right now, and I'm like, I don't even want to. I don't want to drive to. The station. And <laughs> yeah. these guys are like, hey, I, I'll go like seven times faster and <laughs> yeah. go around corners like that, no problem. Yeah, no, it's pretty intense. No, I feel the same. So I've every year I'm similar. I'll say, hey, I want to get into EPL this year. Yeah, I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna. I think every sports fan probably has at least one sport or like league or something that you're like, yeah, like that would make sense to if I had time. And most people probably never, never do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, one day I'll get into EPL. It wasn't this season. I don't think it's going to be next, but one day. 
Uh, so that's F1. Very entertaining, or hopefully a very entertaining race on Sunday. Another note with that, uh, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, who are 1-2 in the championship, I believe have to start at the back of the pack, regardless of where they qualify, which is going to be entertaining because they kind of have to weave their way through a bunch of traffic if they want to get onto the podium. Uh, and the reason for that is they had to like change their engine. And when you do that, you have to start at the back. Mm. I don't know. There's a lot that goes into it, but that should be really entertaining because it's two really good drivers that are going to work their way through the not so good teams and drivers. Uh, the other thing that's going on today, the BC Lions are playing. Ben, you're going. I am. They're hosting the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. No Nathan Rourke, but they will still. Last week, obviously, Rourke got injured in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And so this week, it's going to be a much bigger test. They didn't score Huge any test, points after sure. Rourke went out, but they obviously shut it down on defense and they were mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. Um, but we think they're going to win. We, th- yeah. we think they're going to win. Put the Sportsnet today guarantee. Oh, man, that carries wow. a lot of weight. Um, a three out of four music day and a Sportsnet today guaranteed win night at BC Place. Friday. Uh, go Friday. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be really interesting to see what comes out of this game. Yeah, I'm I'm really fascinated by that too, where, look, we'll, we'll probably know pretty quickly what it's going to look like with Michael O'Connor and what's the offense going to look like? Cause with Rourke, especially the last month, but really for the whole season, it's just been, it's been gangbusters pretty much every game. Uh, I was at the Edmonton game that was here where he was, he broke multiple records in that game and it was just unbelievable. And then like the, the Calgary game where, yeah, he threw a couple of picks and, and maybe he was lucky to, to have not thrown a couple more, but 400 plus yards, game winning drive, Late everything. Comeback win. Yeah. Yeah. Like Every, there's just been so much there, and with this game, okay, they're competitive. They've improved in other areas, though. Uh, it seems like uh, talking to Don Taylor on uh, the People Show earlier this week, uh, the the buzz is, and I, I had the same takeaway, and the well, let's call it fairly limited that I've watched, which has been basically the last month. The special teams needs to be better, and they're obviously not going to be able to get away with that. But if they win this game. And they show like, okay, we don't have the big draw, the headliner, the quarterback that people were getting excited about, but we can still win. I could see the momentum continuing. But if it's difficult, if the quarterback play is not even close to that and they struggle to score points, then I think the the look turns to the front office because now – Yes, the official the the original statement was where hopefully he comes back, but Rick Campbell this week basically said, I'm not expecting him back. Mm-hmm. Are they going to go out there and see if they can get a quarterback? Because the, the, the Lions have put, I wouldn't say they're all in on this season in a way where if it doesn't go their way, they're going to be in trouble. But new owner, they've tried to drum up some interest. They're doing some of the, you know, the parties outside the stadium. The team is good. They've invested in other areas of the team and, I mean, we're talking about them. Yeah, that's, that 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 ticks another box. Yeah, um, you feel like maybe if there's an there's an uh, an option out there, maybe there isn't. But if there is, to get an established quarterback, someone that can come in, not an ideal situation. But I think you probably owe it to yourself to at least explore it. If tonight or the first the next couple of games don't don't look to the level where it needs to be. Yeah, it's so it's going to depend on Michael O'Connor. 
and what he can do behind center because I I believe Neil McAvoy was on that was this week. He was yeah. on the station on Monday and he said they do have confidence in him. It, it's going to be we'll have to see what he can actually do. And again, the Lions defense is good enough that he doesn't necessarily have to do everything that Nathan Rourke was doing which was kind of he could carry the team to a win even if the defense was having an off night or special teams like you said, has had its struggles. He was able to overcome that. Michael O'Connor, I don't think needs to, it's a super high bar if he was to be that good, but I don't think he needs to be for the Lions to win tonight and for the Lions to continue this momentum moving forward. Uh, It's going to be a challenge, but I do think they're definitely capable of doing it with the way their roster is set up. Uh, That's pretty much going to do it for Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Appreciate you filling in, Izzy. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, Have fun on the morning show. Enjoy the the 5 (laughs) a.m. wake-ups. I almost forgot. Yeah, Yeah, the worst part is when you do a... I would have to do like a Friday night show or Friday night Canucks game, for example, and then I would have to do... Or a Saturday night Canucks game into a Monday morning. Mm. Really cuts your weekend short because you got to go to bed early on Sunday. It's tough. I'm I'm an early to bed guy anyway. I'm getting old. I, can, I didn't want to <laughs> say it. Uh, uh, you're with Jamie, right? That's right. Jamie next week. Uh, People Show is back next week, I believe, for the whole week. We're not cutting into baseball as much next week. So don't you worry, text line. We will be back with quite a bit of shows. I believe it is Bick and Randeep next week. So the, the duo is back together. Bick isn't popping in just when he's on vacation. He's actually working, which is uh, probably good for him. He doesn't have to spend his time needlessly heading to the station, (laughs) though it was welcome. Uh, Thanks, Producer Ben. Enjoy the Lions game tonight. Hope they win because you guaranteed it. He guaranteed it. I I guess you guaranteed it. We guaranteed it as a team, I guess. Yeah. Sportsnet today You guys are part of this. The Lions are going to win tonight against the Rough Riders. Book it. Uh, Up next, it is the Vancouver Canadiens. Tyler Zickel on the call. Thanks for listening to Sportsnet today. This has been Josh Elliott Wolf, Israel Fair, producer Ben on Sportsnet 650.